Hi there and welcome back to the ESPN Footy Podcast. Hello everybody, welcome to the ESPN Footy Podcast, proudly sponsored by Subway. Nothing's as big as a footlong. I'm Matt Walsh, Jake Michaels and Christian Jolly are with me once again. And geez, what a finish to the home and away season. The dogs left it late, Jake, uh, to scrape into the eight. The Pies secured a top four spot at the expense of Carlton making finals, which has gone down a treat on social media and among fans, I'm, I'm sure. The Lions are in strife at the wrong uh, end of the season, and there's a whole bunch more to get to. Firstly, though, as a Carlton man, how was your Sunday evening around 6 p.m.? Uh, once I'd wiped the tears away and then <laughs> cried again and wiped those tears away, I could actually sit back and say, you know what, it was a really good game. Six hours of great entertainment when you look at Carlton Melbourne and then into Carlton Collingwood. Two great games. Look, we fell short in both. We gave it a great effort. On a different day, both could be wins. Um, But a good season and a step in the right direction. Um, And yeah, I'm sure we'll talk about it a little bit more. But yes, it's very, very tough to swallow at the time. I think you, when you came into the office this morning, you said, uh, in terms of a pure entertainment standpoint, you yeah. cannot beat the three hours that you, you would can't. have seen. I spoke to one of my friends yesterday, and uh, he, he said it felt like the build-up all week and the way everyone was talking about it, it felt like it was the grand final. Just everyone was talking about it. The crowd, what's it going to be? Two massive clubs, MCG, and then the game delivered, and mm. it really did. For both, I think you can obviously be upset and disappointed as a Carlton supporter, but you can also sit back and say, what a game, what an effort. And the AFL must be loving it with the way that all happened, and then obviously the Bulldogs winning beforehand to put the pressure on. So it was a perfect final day. It was it was our or the AFL's Aguero moment, and and it'll never be that because we don't we don't we play finals obviously, so it's not quite the same. Yeah, it's not to determine a premier, but it, it was a great final day where there was so much drama and and all the big clubs were involved right we at the end. Talked about the permutations that could happen. You know, the Hawks were well up on the dogs at one point. Mm. Uh, we're kicking very accurately, and you're thinking, "Oh, hey, hang on." Even the day the day earlier with the Giants, the Giants looking like they could cause yep. an upset against Frio. So it, there was the games that we sort of flagged as these these Giants Frio playing in Canberra and Hawks playing the dogs down in Tassie. It's like these games you could see them going either way, and in the end they all sort of went. The favourites kind of did end up winning all of them. Mm. Um, but yeah, what a round of footy. And finals. Finals. Why well, do we, we have to we, wait. We, I know. Wait every yet. year we say this. So. <laughs> Christian, uh, any tears in your household after the result on the weekend? No. no he I, was again, expecting it all year. Uh, yeah, I know. Well, I did say, I, I think I, I emailed Jared Barker from ESPN on uh, last night or Sunday night and said, I told you about round nine we wouldn't make it. But no, I was... Again, it was a, it was a, it was a slow burn for me. The, the loss to Adelaide was more hurt hurt me more than the loss yesterday. I felt like that's when our season slipped away. So, again, a big one, yes, it was a one-point loss to Collingwood. It was devastating, but I, I wasn't sitting there, I don't know, hoping and wanting for finals because I'd seen for the last 10 weeks there was a lot of things we need to fix. Mm-hmm. Hopefully for the next year will be a better year. But, again, I, I keep saying it. it was a great season for Carlton. Even if we don't make finals, I'm still giving it as a Carlton supporter. I still enjoyed that season. We will, assess, we will assess them later in the uh, What about the you? What about yourself? You uh, were there. How was? What was your uh, immediate reaction? I, I was laughing when Elliot kicked that goal. Because what can you do? You just know that Collingwood are kind of come out and they're going to grind it out. And uh, Elliot's one of the best kicks in the comp. Mm. And the, the Had my check-in board, I think Ginevan was sort yeah, of running alongside like, as nah, well. And don't worry about it, boys. Same thing as uh, against the Bombers. Obviously, that was after the siren. But just... It, he has to be in the top three or four players in terms of anywhere inside 50, game on the line, needs to kick it. He's he's right up there. He's an absolute star. And I've said this for years, that we've been robbed of seeing the best of him because of the mm. injuries, because he is such an entertainer and such a, well, we've as we've found in, in recent weeks, a clutch performer. Clutch player. And he ma- he just makes him such a dynamic forward line and a scary, scary side. Makes him a better team. Well, the Pies, that's the Pies in general. I think Majic missed a few against the Blues. But in general, he's a very accurate kick. Jack Ginevan knows where the goals are, has this really great goal sense. Elliot, fantastic set shot. As Johnson's come in. Cox, anywhere within 40 metres, Cox is, a, is pretty good. Automatic. Yeah. Um, so the, the, I mean, the thing that the Pies have and they can lean on, and they weren't the most accurate in the first half on the weekend, but they are an accurate side and can kick well. You know, late yeah. in games, they kicked five one to Carlton zero six in the last term, and that was the game, wasn't it? Yeah. Not to get too into the weeds, but the thing I keep struggling with, with with Collingwood, and the reason I still keep saying they can't win it, which seems crazy, is the numbers. And I understand the numbers aren't everything, but for you, Christian, do you still look at it at the end of the day, the Melbourne game, the Carlton game, where you think, how are they winning? How do they keep winning these games? Oh, definitely. And that's and it's big with, you know, I work with other analysts at Champion Data and we're sort of big on what, what do the numbers do? Mm. For me, the numbers tell you a story and they tell you what happened. 
they can't to me they can never predict what's about to happen they can give you a guide and mm. trends and things like that but the numbers will never tell you what's going to happen and same as Collingwood to, to sit there as you know even looking at their last four weeks I think it's the third worst four week block of contested possession differential ever it'll be the worst <laughs> four week block of a differential for a finalist going into the finals they're about a negative 150 or something in the last four weeks that's so, just uh, unbelievable and it, so it's constant but again it's, it's one of those ones where they do it the first time you think geez, they've done well to sort of you know, win without the ball, then they do it two or three weeks yeah, or four weeks in a row. A it's it's, it's, not, it's no longer a fluke, and mm. we've spoken about it. They know how to close out the close games, and they sort of know how to do it with minimal use of the ball. We were going to talk about the pies a bit after we had something we noticed, but we might as well just continue with the pie chat while we're, while we're hot. Even on the weekend, like, we talk about contested ball. It was negative 60 against the Blues. 54, so the biggest ever differential for a losing team or a winning team. So Carlton had 54 more contested possessions than Magpies and Loss, which is, yeah, the big. we've never seen numbers that high. I think the previous high was about 46 winning contested possessions That's and losing. Just, so. The expected score we've talked about on this podcast a lot as well. Uh, I think the Pies should have lost on that as well. Yes, yeah, score should have been 59 Collingwood to 82 Carlton and as we know it was 75-74 so expected scores you know looking at the whole season mm-hmm. again looking at expected scores you can look at wins and losses of if every game had gone to accuracy if every game goes to accuracy Collingwood finishes ninth on the AFL ladder yeah. this Instead, season Carlton, yeah, and Richmond, Carlton do Richmond's get the eighth spot it, so yeah and no, I think West Coast I think I heard on the weekend West Coast was 0-22 and 22 from expected scores they did manage to win one game on expected scores oh, so well they would done. have a record well of 1-21 <laughs> Instead of the pie, instead of finishing outside the eight on expected scores, there uh, they scraped into the top four with a percentage of one hundred and four point three. And four, the, the ones that for me as well, forty eight percent time in front across the season. So they've been behind more than they've been in front. I think it's about the third or fourth time a team's made top four uh, under fifty percent time in I didn't front. Know, but that's crazy. That's a great. It's, stat. it's almost like looking at percentage. Percentage is a good way to say, yeah. oh, have we scored more than the opposition across the year? Well, this is just have we been in the lead mm. across the year? And they haven't. And the other one for me, three-quarter time, 11 times they were behind at three-quarter time this year. So half the games they played, they were behind at three-quarter time. Came back to win seven of those games. Mm. I felt, the I felt as though that was their most unlikely of the comebacks. Just because of how much Carlton would... The dominant third quarter, how dominant Cripps was, the fact that they had to win. It wasn't like it was round 13 and the... the immense pressure isn't on. They had to win Carlton. And Collingwood really looked pretty ordinary in the third quarter and they didn't look great in the fourth either but they just kept grinding, grinding and it was out. like they 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 defended well they took their uh, chances. they took their chances and Carlton couldn't quite take theirs in the in the fourth and they find themselves with another narrow win and it's just it's getting to the point now where you can keep looking at the stats and say, well, they shouldn't be doing this, but they are. Well, we were talking last week when, after the Swans game, the, the Pies and the Swans, how it, it was still up in the air sort of halfway through the fourth quarter uh, until, uh, was it Rampy came through and bumped Mychek off the footy when it would have put them like within maybe four goals with eight minutes left or something mm. like that. And it's funny how not many clubs, you'd, you'd still be like, oh, geez, they're half a chance if he kicks that to put them within four goals, yeah. needing four goals in eight minutes. But Collingwood's one of those sides that, they will get, you know, if they get an inside 50, their their likelihood of scoring is a lot higher than other teams. Yeah, and there's probably no way to quantify it, you know, statistically, but Collingwood having that 10 or 11-week period of being able to come back, they know it, so they step up that 5% in the last 15 minutes. And the opposition knows, knows yeah. it as well, so yeah. they're probably a more nervous 5 10% more and sort of go into their shells. So, Again, yeah. you talk about the, the mental aspect of footy, and certainly, like you say, it's so hard to quantify, but there's got to be something there 100%. that just... Uh, it just does it. Uh, look, Jake, something from round 23 that uh, you noticed? I know we're a bit far into the pod, but... Well, I wasn't going to go with this because I thought we were going to talk about Blues Collingwood in a little bit, but we have sort of jumped the gun. So <laughs> I will go to it. But to this point, Carlton in such a, played a, such a dominant third quarter, looked as if they were going to run run the game out and, and make finals. The thing I noticed was when the three... And I, I've mentioned this to about five or six people, and... Only one person... Christian, you're the first person that, that has actually seen this. No one else seems to have noticed this. Was uh, Cripps almost celebrating when the three-quarter time siren went like they had won the game. I don't think I've ever seen that before from any player in P- any sport, really. Like, where it's... It was almost like... Gave a couple of fist bumps and just like looked as if they they they'd made it. And it's I, like I was working on the game and I had to double check that we were definitely at three quarter time, not at four. I'm like, what happened? Is that's not yeah. the end of the game, is it? I, and then I I made the comment because I saw it in Cornwall. I'm like, I feel like Patrick Cripps thought that was the end of the game, but obviously I moved Surely on. Surely not. Edits, but, Surely yeah, not. But, sure. but it was it was 
like they played a great quarter. He was fantastic. And I understand, you know, you, you think, okay, we've taken that next step. We're close now. But I just was a bit, it was a bit like when Matt Owies got into Scott Pendlebury. It's like, okay, I know, I know you want to sort of get the guys to settle, but you, you, you need to settle yourself. So <laughs> yeah, it was, um, that was just something I, I thought was a little bit strange. Never seen that before. It is a bit strange. Christian, something from the weekend that took your fancy? It's probably been a bit of a long-term one, but I think if you're uh, nearing the end of your career, you need to be a key forward, don't you, if you want a farewell game? I, I don't know many key defenders that would be out of, out of a team for half the year that would come back in round 23 and get a farewell game <laughs> and do eight spoils and get applauses or something. You really need to be, you know... I, I know Josh Kennedy was in the team all the time, but, you know, he kicked eight in his final one. Michael Hurley on the weekend. Even going way back to, you know, Jason McCartney's inspirational mm. comeback and things... He played as a forward for that one game and kicked a winning goal. But yeah, I was just sort of thinking another one. Off, I think I've dropped it on the pod before. I think I think forwards have a bit of an easier AFL life than defenders. And there's another case for it. If you're a 37, 38-year-old key forward on your last legs, you're most it's, likely getting a farewell game. But if you're a key defender, no. You'll just it's be... been a good year for farewell games. We saw Kennedy kick the eight and almost probably should have kicked nine. The ninth was the easiest one. And if he kicks nine, he probably gets to ten. <laughs> I think if you're a retiring key forward and it's your last and your final game, you can have an absolute like stinker of a match. But if you kick mm. one goal, you just need to get one. You just need to get one goal. Yeah. Get the applause and that's it. But if you have a stinker as a key back, there's sort of nowhere to hide. Yeah, really. and you're always remembered for that. Dan Hanbury, I thought was great for the Saints. <laughs> yep. in his last game, Robbie Gray had a few little... uh, chances. Yeah, yeah. Dan Hanbury. I mean, Dan Hanbury. We know what he's gone through, and you know, it was such a sort of tough end to his career but the last three or four weeks he's actually been really 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 good if Saints had made finals that was a big sort of chance of he was going to have a big part to play Mm. Mm. Uh, something I noticed uh, not in the AFL but in the VFL Mm. which I thought was very interesting. A lot of big scores in the VFL this week. A few blowouts, uh, but none bigger than this. Werribee Tigers, how's this for a scoreline? 29-17-191. Northern Bull Ants. Zero goals, 10 behinds, 10 for the day. What was the expected scores? I, I haven't <laughs> done that much research, but I just yeah. it's, it must be pretty grim feeling when uh, you look at the scoreboard at the end, you think 10, oh, maybe we've scored one goal, four. No, 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 10 behinds, fellas. That's What's better, t- one, four or 10 behinds? I guess you had more you opportunities. More sco- <laughs> scoring <laughs> shots yeah. when you're kicking the behinds, but um, oh, that, that's, uh, that must be a grim feeling going down yeah. by 181 points. Not good, no. not good at all. All right, well, let's get into the main body of the podcast. Uh, it is the end of the home and away season, as we sort of flagged, and as everyone does know. So it means that we can kind of take stock on the end of season stats and what may and may not have jumped out at us. Uh, so Christian, we asked him to run his eyes over the season as a whole to see if anything interesting happened, if any records were broken, anything like that. But nothing really stood out. Well, we can we can look at teams maybe another day. But yeah, I looked at players and just, again, just simple single stat records, you know. Did someone take the most marks in a season this year or kick the most goals? Nothing like that. Obviously, disposals um, have gone down slightly from the days where, you know, Tom Mitchell, I think, had record where he got over 700 in a season and things like that. Mm. Uh, but yeah, this year, it's sort of a bit grim reading in terms of the... the bit the of a negative personal records. Today. Yeah, well, the personal <laughs> records that have been broken, I think I've got sort of five main ones here and four of them are negative stats. So just, you know, to give you an example, Brad Crouch had... 15 clanger ground kicks this year, so he kicked it off the ground straight back to the opposition or on the full. <laughs> that was the most we've ever recorded in a season, four more than Tim Taranto last year. That's a good one. Uh, Jack, <laughs> Jack Viney broke the record for clanger handballs. Uh, we have a stat called debits, uh, which is basically just a bad decision. Um, Corey so, yeah, uh, No, Newcomb was leading, well, equal leader with that with 12, but it's the most since 2002. In a game? Uh, sorry, in the season. So, in again, season, only 12 right. times. That's it, not many. Oh, because we... Cause we capture so many other things we capture knock-ons yeah. kick clangers freeze against a debit is just it's sort of falling over the wrong time spoiling your teammate so going up for a spoil when it's just you and a teammate oh. and punching. so <laughs> right. they're little yep. things like that that don't quite get um another stat given to it but it's clearly just a negative act in a game so levi casbolt dropped 17 marks this year uh, normally he's most... butter. sticky hands yeah so the, the only sort of positive one that got broken and again it's sort of a newer stat in terms of um I think it's only been around since about 2014 or 2015, is crumbing possession. So winning it off a marking contest at ground level. Yeah. Lockie Neal won 57 of those this mm. year, which is, breaks another record. So He's a very clean around his knees and, and at ground level. You don't see him fumble a lot, Lockie Neal. No, he doesn't. He's one of the best players at exiting stoppages and just his balance is so good. And yeah, it do, that doesn't surprise me. He's always been a great... I mean, he's a pretty low centre of gravity type... <laughs> Another word for saying smaller, shorter guy, but he's <laughs> wondering he, where you're yeah, going. With that. <laughs> he's just always been that kind of player when he was at Fremantle. He's just always been a really good 
contested player in the stoppages and yeah it doesn't surprise me at all that he leads he's high up in ground ball gaps and then just a couple of sort of the more major stats obviously no one got close to breaking disposals or kicks or anything like that but I mean, James Sisley fell five short of the rebound 50 record, so he had 179 in the home and away season, 184, Tom Stewart's the An record. all-Australian lock, James Sisley. Yeah. Where yeah. are you playing him? As, as the centre-half back? Well, you play him in the midfield if you if you watched on the weekend. Well, maybe that cost him the record. Yeah. Yeah, man, he could have gone behind and get, yeah, another five. And, uh, yeah, second most spoils for Lewis Young in a season, 192 spoils. Mm-hmm. Um, again, sort of... Bonus pickup for the Blues. I reckon they lost their number one spoiler in Liam Jones and replaced him with, you know, the like number one like. spoiler in the competition. Uh, and Petrarca, I mean, he had 146 inside 50s, which I think is about 10 or 15 away from the record, but was in the top five. So, yeah, not a lot standing out in terms of personal season highs. There you go. Well, it's, it's almost, yeah, you, you look at some some despite, like the Tom Mitchell thing stands out, like that those couple of years where he was picking up like 40 every second week or had, had a 50 disposal game or whatever it might be, you think, uh, well, no one's going to break that for a while because we haven't had sort of prolific ball winners. I mean, who was a prolific ball winner this year? Maybe Jack McRae? He would have fallen well short, I think, of, of what Tom Mitchell had. So. Yeah, and Zach, Zach Merritt. Zach Merritt would have had games, a few. Yeah. There you go. Well, we'll keep an eye on that. We might do some digging on some team stuff for next week as well. Uh, and next week, we'll do a massive finals preview. So do uh, keep your eyes and ears open wherever you get your podcasts. Um, also, don't forget, just while I'm on the, the plug train, mm. don't forget the uh, the girls are back again with the AFLW side yes. of the pod as well. Uh, a really great start last week and obviously the season starting on Thursday night as well. So get around the girls. Jake. Yes. End of season, uh, round 23, 23 times 9. Don't know how your maths is. Oh, no. 23 times 9 is not quite right because there's uh, the bye weeks. How many games there were in the year? Yeah, what was your what was the best game? What's the what's the pick of the bunch for the best entertainment spectacle that we saw all season? Sorry, I was just on my phone there trying to find. I was trying, out. I was no, trying to give you more time. No, I was trying I was, to buy I you some time. To, I didn't want to jump the gun and be wrong, and because one of the things I had noticed stat wise was that the two leading tacklers were both from Adelaide. And I just wanted to check that it was still the case with Berry and Laird, and they they are so. Yeah, Berry and Laird, the two. Don't know when that if that's happened before. Maybe that's one to follow up for next week. <laughs> Chase it up, but uh, yeah, two two tacklers from the same team. Uh, what was the question? Uh, what was I saying? Best game. Best game of the year. So we've had oh, some it's crackers. It's got to be Carlton Collingwood, doesn't it? I, look, I thought it was... Recency I thought it A little bit, but I thought it was Melbourne Collingwood. Um, that was a cracking game. Friday night game, I think. Melbourne Collingwood, from yeah. memory. Really, really good game. Dacos gets one, Neil Bullen gets one back. Yeah, yeah, just, yeah, yeah. just epic. But I do think, and yeah, there might be a bit of recency bias, but like I said before with that, it really felt the build-up was epic. Um... I, I went for a walk in the morning and saw saw someone I hadn't seen in a while and even they had mentioned the the game and I'm like didn't really know you were sort of into it. The Carlton Collingwood game. Yeah, just it was just like everyone. It was the talk of the town and it delivered and it was great. Two great clubs, two um you know almost ninety thousand fans there. It was actually quite a nice day in Melbourne. It was a rare nice day. Uh, Slight September feel. About yeah, it. I actually had shorts on in the morning, which was nice. <laughs> did you really? I did. Um. So I think that might I think it does take the cake, but the, but there are a few other nominations. Christian, do you have a thought? Yeah, no, I'm, I think I'm with Jake, and again, I'm trying to I'm trying to fight the recency bias. Um, but yeah, that was it. Just I was sort of saying, imagine if Collingwood needed to win that to make finals as well. Like, would have just wanted to flip be it around. It almost yeah. felt that by the second quarter, you thought both of these teams are trying to nail down a final spot, and it was yeah. sort of an elimination final for both of them. Uh, yeah, I can't go past that one. Geelong Richmond, I think, was is one of the best ones that I've seen. I think the whole story around Stewart um, and the collision that he had with uh, Dion Prestia and Prestia went out, and you think, oh, the Tigers are cooked here, and they just claw their way back and claw their way back and uh, hit the front, um, uh, and then you like you know Tyson Stengel has a great game, um, and then uh, who is it? It was Jack Henry that took the mark yeah. in the forward line about twenty meters out to seal it for the Cats. Uh, that was just one of the most the, the great sort of forward and back two really good sides, and you know obviously now both finalists as well. Uh, and you know the cats just sort of shows the sort of metal that they have in those tight games, and I think that was one of the one of the best games that I've seen for a while. Uh, another nomination I have, I think it was round fifteen or sixteen, the final game, the Twilight four forty, which usually doesn't throw up some great <laughs> contests. Uh, Gold Coast, Port Adelaide at Adelaide Oval, fantastic game, end to end, open, great, it just tight the whole game. Yeah, I think I think Port ended up winning by two points, and it was just. It was just a fantastic game of footy. I think that was sort of around a run where Port, Port and the Suns played sort of two or three really tight games in a row, and and they sort of came together. And yeah, it was the last last round of the season, last 
game of the round, and it was just yeah, great contest. But I don't think too many people. Yeah, even going back to another one, another one that's a bit off Broadway, clearly off Broadway. It was round one, Adelaide Fremantle with the uh, yes, Heath Chapman spoil of the century or spoil of the year. Even that's that, right. I remember sitting there going, Whoa, "Heads up, play for a pretty good season here if games are like this." What's the opposite sort of, of a debit? What are you? Taking, well, <laughs> yeah, credit? That, a credit. <laughs> yeah, we yeah, we do have credit, so but that was yes. Yeah, so <laughs> can we get that out of here? That we, was terrible. <laughs> we actually well staying in. <laughs> I will I will talk about the spoil because that spoil wasn't actually recorded as a spoil. It was actually recorded as a contested knock on because it ended up getting to a teammate so a spoil is just you killed a mark you can't contest. have an effective spoil can you you can you have a spoil to advantage you can yeah, yeah. you can have a spoil to advantage but it doesn't it doesn't create an intercept possession or a mm. uh, sort of a possession for you I felt that when Chapman did that it was almost as good as a par he passed it down to yeah it was very very he so, knew who was nearby yeah and quite funny that if you Try to find the spoil of the year looking through, you know, we have vision playlists and that. You wouldn't be actually looking for a spoil for that one. So oh, there you go. Uh, other nominations. The showdown was pretty good. Speaking showdown of Showdown was good. Uh, the story behind the Dawson, you know, new Just club. Moving. Yeah. yeah. Uh, the way it sort of be- uh, bent And early as well. in the, I think, round three, was it? Uh, round two or yeah, round three? It was, it was very early, early in the season. season. Um, Jamie Elliott to sink the, the Dons. That was also, you know, another... Collingwood heart stopper and, and that finish was just epic but that was a weird game Collingwood kicked like the first they were up by they're like up five early five or yeah. six early and then Essendon stormed back um, it's, it's what am I, am I I feel like I'm just talking about the game on Sunday <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah no, no it's, 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 it's funny how I think we've like you can kind of reflect it on most years, but I reckon there were two or three rounds this year where I thought, "Gee, that's the best round of footy I've watched in some mm. time." So you I think do for, you do forget, like as you move on, that you know we're probably forgetting a game in round twelve that was a cracker. But yeah. it doesn't necessarily have to be just the final margin doesn't have to be you know two points or one point or a draw to be great. Mm. You, it can end up being an eighteen point margin, but it was a really great contest tight throughout. Yeah. But um, yeah, I, I think. I think with all the with everything that was at stake and the build up and the clubs and the ground and the crowd and everything taken into consideration, I think it's hard to go past the Carlton Collingwood on Sunday. Fair enough. Uh, most improved players last year we did this for the first time. ESPN's mm. inaugural most improved player. Do you remember who the winner was? Uh, the winner was no. Who was the winner? Darcy Parrish. Darcy Parrish it certainly was. Yeah. I was going to say that. No, oh, here we go. <laughs> Can we get rid of that? Yeah. <laughs> Uh, we're going to do it again. So there's going to be a yarn coming soon. We'll uh, we'll collate some votes. Uh, it's going to be voting between a few of the ESPN writers and Champion Data as well. Yep. We'll get Christian involved. Uh, but uh, there have been a few nominations here. Lots. Depends on what your what your um, what your the definition of most improved is. Well, I think we sort of said. So Christian obviously brings more of a statistical slant towards it. But what we sort of said in terms of most improved is what is what does your eye tell you. You know, you can't. You can't, obviously need to be a player that has has been playing. You can't play one game last year and then play consistently and be a pretty good player. You've got to take a bit of a jump this year. So we've yeah. got sort of half a dozen nom- genuine nominations that that could win it. Um, but I think that's fair. It's more what your eye says and and what you see the player and how you see them developing. Yeah, Christian, we asked you to sort of look at what you would define as the most improved, and you've got some um, some parameters that we might not have. What are they, and who has topped your list? Yeah, well, last year we came up with the parameters when we did the most improved, and it was, again, looking at what Jake said. So a fair enough sample size previously to this year to compare against. Can't be a first-year player in their second year, yeah, otherwise it might. It's a natural improvement you expect. So we went last year we went minimum four years, sort of saying we first, second, third year, that's just natural progression. You should be basically getting better every year. If all of a sudden your fourth year is a big step up, then you can probably get into the most improved. So... Um, Looked at that and then also looked... So what I, what I used is ranking points um, in a season average. So again, looking at your previous best season in, in at least a four-year block or longer compared to this year and just looking at the difference between your previous best year and this season. And then also took out another sort of qualifier that I took out is you you have to... You can't have changed clubs this year. So again... I know a lot of a lot of the most improved players are because they've changed clubs mm. and they could probably still win the award. But again, we were just trying to come up with an idea last year that sort of was mm. nice and consistent. Um, it sort of, you know, didn't just throw up the guys that were just getting a, a new look at More a new club. So, yeah. um, so again, some of the guys this year that I'm not sort of going to read out their names, Jordan Clark, obviously, just because he's moved clubs, George Hewitt, Paddy McCartan, Tyson Stengel, all right up there as the most improved players in the competition. But again, I've sort of taken them out of my formula. Will Brody? Did you say Will Brody? Uh, not in the, not as high as those few. So I think, mm. he, yeah, he might be in the next rung down. But again, looking at if we go to minimum of four years, 
it takes out Chad Water, who is my personal oh, my personal him. vote would go to Chad Water of how much he stepped up. But again, it's his third year, so again, looking at that law of natural progression, he should be getting better. But should we bend clearly, the criteria? Yeah, exactly. Well, well I mean, I haven't had to I haven't had to give my votes in yet. So quick, we'll, li- quick little sidebar here because I'd like to get your your thoughts. What's what do you see his ceiling? What's Chad? Can can Chad Warner be a top three player in the league in three years time? Yeah, everyone keeps, uh, um, you know, guys back in the office have seen a lot of Christian Petrarca. Yeah, um, early sort of Patrick Dangerfields about him. The way he can oh. get the ball from stoppage into yeah. space and kick I haven't it. been as excited about a player in a long time. Yeah, and that's he, he's running goal on the weekend. He, his ability to burst from stoppage. Good ball user and kick goals. He's yeah. doing it all in his, and he hasn't even played forty games. The yet. One thing that I think he's got slightly better than Petrarca is, is, is his score assists. So Petrarca will get it, and he's got a little bit of tunnel vision. He's very, you know, have a long bomb shot at goal and can Those create Melbourne play. players pick it. Whereas Bridget, Chad Water, yeah, I, mean, yeah, <laughs> I mean, Chad Water even hit Buddy for his thousandth goal and things yeah, like that. But he is yeah. one that can also hit up a, so he a also leading player. Well. He was well, caught outside with Will with Haywood. Will Haywood, yes. yeah, had to get pushed out the other way. So again, Good trivia that that'll be one day. So. Yeah, looking at most improved, he sort of just misses the cut because he's only in his third year. So most improved player using the um, parameters that I've uh, just explained, Jack Sinclair, who's... Mm, uh, good nomination. Yeah, season, uh, I think it's his season, eighth season in the competition, 113 ranking points per game this year, uh, sort of playing as a general defender, which he's, pl- he's played He's played as a general forward, a winger. He's played general defense previously. So, you know, he's been in that position before. But again, just a probably the second time he's had a big jump in his career because mm. I remember about three or four years ago he was on the wing and we had him as a, one of the elite wingmen of the competition. He was sort of, you know, we were almost getting laughed at for saying that but it was sort of like, well, not many players are playing wing and he's playing 80% of the time there and doing yeah. everything he should as a winger. They've moved him into general defence and he stepped up uh, even more. So he's the number one most improved. Yep. Uh, second most, Nick Blakey. So another guy that sort of moved behind see, the ball. See, I, I like Blakey. I think he's a really good player. A uh, bit of X factor about him, some might say, <laughs> but I don't reckon he's been. I reckon he's been as good as he was last year. Yeah. So again, looking at ranking points, he's been. I think it was fifty two, fifty five, and fifty six. His previous seasons, he's way up to eighty six this year. So he's never mm. been again uh, uh, to be an average player is seventy five ranking points. So those three seasons, he's been well below average. He just hasn't been able to get consistent output. So yeah. Um, yeah, a bigger season, and again, maybe he's just doing it more, doing it more frequently. In, I think his teammates it. look for him now. Yeah, yeah. I think he's, the... he's he's improved his ball use. He's a hundred. He's you know I think his meters game went up by 150 per game this year. Yeah. Um. So yeah, getting a lot more, and again, it's sort of a theme here with all almost the top four. Uh, Daniel Rioli is the third most improved. Again, moved to halfback. I know it was later towards the end of last year, but he sort of played down there this year. Ed Richards at the Bulldogs is actually the number one play. intercept player. It's easy to play at halfback. Ed All Richards. These Nick Dacos. <laughs> <laughs> and, then, and then the fifth most improved is a guy that's sort of done at the other end of the field or a little bit in the midfield too. Dylan Moore at Hawthorne. Yeah, yeah. So um, would be our fifth most improved player. He's trying to justify the elite ranking that uh, you got copped some flack for in the offseason. Well, that's why, that's why it's quite funny. He comes up as, we already rated him elite in 2021, <laughs> yet he's one of the most improved players this year. There you go. Jake, what does the eye tell you? Anyone else you want to bring up as a nomination? Uh, I'll give you a couple of nominations. Two players that I was always very critical of, uh, Todd Marshall and Zach Guthrie. I think they've become really, really good players for their clubs. Marshall was someone who I just just didn't seem to have the body to, to play AFL. He's just in the off-season. He's put on a lot of muscle, a lot stronger. There's No one ever questioned his ability to kick accurately. He's he's arguably the best in the league at it right now. He's a lovely kick for He's goal. a great kick for, for goal. For such a tall guy as well. Yeah. He has a, an action which you can just sort of set your clock to and, and you mm. know what you're going to get wherever he's on the field. And, and I think I think there's real optimism for Port. I think if, if Dixon is healthy next year and, and, and uh, Marshall's able to take even, a, even another little step forward, they have a really no, nice dynamic forward line. I know they lose Gray, but with some of the other players that are younger getting getting better, and I, I think there'll be... There's, there's, I know it was a tough year for Port, but I don't think it's the alarm bells are going off just yet. And yeah, Zach Guthrie, I think he was another player that was sort of a fringe in and out, in and out, in and out, and never quite was able to maintain a spot. And he's become a really good, uh, really good, consistent defender now. Yeah, fair enough. Uh, some of the names, obviously, you've excluded them from your um, uh, parameters, Christian. But I think yeah, Brody's is is up there, and mm. averaging you know twelve and a half disposals his final year at the Suns, averaged twenty seven this year. Um, you know, one point six to four point nine tackles a game. He's doubled his clearance output, doubled his inside fifty output. I think the the, the meteoric rise is it's undeniable, and it's been it's been yeah. a real plus and, for Frio. And a little part of it that you almost have to factor in is. Did you expect it? Some of these players, like, I think, we, you know, Warner, we thought, okay, this guy's going to be really... But 
I don't think many people expected Will Brody to take that step. No. Uh, Tyson Stengel, could, did you, could you expect that he would come back no. into the AFL system and be so effective? Yeah. 9 to 14 disposals a game, um, you know, 0.67 goals per game to 2 goals a game, mm. um, 2 to 4 inside 50s a game. He's just, and, and he's a real threat in that forward line. And look, I think it would also obviously help having um, Jeremy Cameron, Tom Hawkins, some of these really big bodies up there that take a lot of attention and a lot of focus in that forward line. But he's playing a role to perfection that is just, he's yep. going to pop up if no one else does. And I think he's been incredible this season. So I've just done a little bit of research on the Will Brody while he was coming up lower. So I had uh, the other minimum that you had to do it. You had to play at least another season in your career where you've played 11 games. Ah, He'd never played more hasn't than been able seven to get or eight games. So if he Coast. was included, where would he rank roughly? Uh, so yeah, he would have been in the top 12 of include, when you're including all the trading yeah, players yeah. as well. But yeah, he just didn't come up on what how, how it sorted because he hasn't had a previous... 11 game season a couple of other names maybe not so much in, in terms of like you know statistical output I, I think Ben Ainsworth had a really good mm. season for the Suns kicking at least a goal a game uh, getting up the field a bit uh, racking up the touches inside 50s going up uh, Luke Davies Uniac for, for North I think there's just something Great special half of the season something special about him and he's one to watch as he gets yeah. a little bit older but you know 25 touches a game this year his tackles his rebound 50s his inside 50s his clearances they're all up yeah. uh, which suggests that he's getting to, to both ends of the ground he, he's working both ways and he's a real hard worker and I think Alistair Clarkson will be a great coach and a great fit for him mm. as he continues to develop. So, The other one, um, another Port player that, that has taken the step and Back I'd on say, the power, Wagon, I, I, I do like the power. Has closed the gap to our man Sammy Walsh. <laughs> oh. um, Connor Rosie. You know, he's another one that's that's had a move into the midfield, spending more time in there. And he's fit in seamlessly. He's been fantastic. Um, expect him to feature somewhat on Brownlow Medal Night. Not, not in the final rounds vying for the award. Could he top Port's list? I think he can, for sure, yeah. See, he's got a former Brownlow medalist to contend with. He does, um, and Wines has been really good too, but we saw we saw Rosie win the medal. He was fantastic again. He's had he's had three or four games where, in my opinion, he's been clearly the best player on the ground and just been really good in the midfield, but still crucially kicking goals. Mm. A lot of players can move into the midfield and then all of a sudden the goals dry up, but he's still, he's still averaging almost a goal a game. Um, and obviously everything else has gone up. Clearances go up, tackles go up, uh, possessions go up, spot, everything's going up. So yeah, look, he's he's an exciting one to watch. And the debate in year one of of Rosie, Rosie and Walsh and Stack was the other one. Um, well, I think it's I think it clearly became just Walsh and then a, and then a bit of a gap to the rest. But I, I think he's he's keeping him in his sights, Rosie. Mm. Speaking of Brownlow, you did mention it. The mm. Well, now the season's done. All the votes are in. They're in the Armour Guard truck, ready to be they delivered to, to Gill for the final time. We got to, One year, we've got to find out the route of this truck. We're going to get <laughs> what, in there. What, x-ray it? Yeah, we're going to get in there and just sort of... We'll do like an Ocean's Eleven and try and open the <laughs> open the envelopes. <laughs> for those that maybe don't know the podcast uh, or have just joined us recently in the last few weeks or whatever it may be, Jake, is uh, he's our Brownlow guy. Uh, and if you've seen our predictor, espn.com.au forward slash AFL, uh, Jake has a, a spreadsheet in front of him and I can see it. The, the level of detail on this spreadsheet is um, is second to none. Uh, and what's the what is, what's the brag, the humble brag? You've you've picked the winner seven, seven of, of eight times. And what was the one you missed? It was Nat Fife. Which the, sec- one? Which time? the second time. I had Dangerfield winning it by a vote or two. So if you haven't checked that out, uh, like I said, ESPN.com.au. It, it was a tough night at the Michaels household. <laughs> slash AFL. He I took a beat. I took a, <laughs> a literal beating. <laughs> he... he, he pours over this meticulously every week and updates yeah. it every week so if you haven't been following it uh, do check it out if you plan on either following the Brown the Night closely having a flutter or whatever it may be gamble responsibly Jake yes and I think we will have a, a, a special episode a little closer to Brownlow Night where we'll where we'll just talk all things Brownlow and um, yeah a bit of bit of juicy betting stuff in there as well and what that'll be is it'll just be Jake alone at home and he'll have a microphone and a recorder <laughs> and he'll be just talking into the mic I need you can't, <laughs> do, can't do without you um Anyway, uh, we were getting onto the Brownlow and we were sort of saying how we might want to tease what you think the outcome might be. We're going to ask uh, Christian to sort of say what Champion Data thinks and compare mm. the pair and give you at home uh, an indication of where things might head on that Monday night. Yeah, look, it's going to be um, it's going to be really exciting because I reckon about three or four years ago we had so we had a, we had three years. You know, so when you say you've picked seven of eight, it's it sounds impressive, but you know there've been four where it's like any any blind man work for could Jake have, Michaels could have, could have picked it. It was pretty obvious. We had four four years in a row where we had an odds on favorite that was almost unbackable. 
But the last couple have been really close. So like last year was tight, and this year's going to be the same. I think there's six genuine live chances that that are within striking distance to win the award. There's obviously two that I've got at the top that I think are realistically going to win it, but I wouldn't be surprised if one of six won it. So right now, with all the votes done and dusted, for the first time in my predictor doing this, I've actually got a tie at the top. So and I've, and you like to say that your your model is different to others because you try and lessen the. Um, there's a couple that are similar out there, but yeah, try instead of a lot. Most of them will just go three, two, one. Yeah. Whereas, you, the idea is you 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 want a, a smaller margin of error as possible, and by doing three, two, one, I find you have a high margin of error. So, for example, two two great players, two players have a great game. Who do you give the three to? Who do you give the two to? If you get it wrong, you're going to be you're going to be a full vote off. And over the course of the season, that adds up. Whereas if you give them both two point five, you guarantee you're really only going to be point five off, which does narrow does narrow that margin of error over the course of the season, and then you, and results in a more accurate. With that one remaining vote, obviously there's you know that's that you've given the two point yeah. five, which is a, for a total of five, for, yep. so three and two, and then obviously there's still and one then there's vote still remaining. one vote left. So you could give a, a, you could give okay, so there was a clear third best player gets the one, or then it's another two players that was sort of third and fourth. They can each get a half vote each. So right. it always adds up to six. It's not like you're giving nine votes for a game because that wouldn't make any sense because then you get players finishing on forty two votes. So it's not like that. You still got to give six per six votes per uh, game. But it can be any amount of players. The most, it's usually four, three or four. Very rarely would be five. Some games where it's really difficult to pick, and there's Geelong have this a lot, where Geelong have a real spread of contributors. It can be really tough to pick some Geelong games who's going to get the votes. But for the most part, it is three or four uh, that do get the votes. But yes, back to what I was saying. Uh, top of the pile, um, Lockie Neal and Clayton Oliver tied thirty votes after twenty three rounds. So they've both had fantastic seasons. Neil, obviously a Brownlow medal winner in the past. Clayton Oliver finished third last year. A bit lower than last year's count? In terms votes? of votes? Yeah, yeah it's interesting because early in the season, I reckon after about round eight, it looked like four players could get 35 plus. It was, they, they, we were looking like we were on track for a potential 40. Patrick Cripps, after six rounds, was on track for 40. Um so, I wouldn't say it's low, but it's not like the Shane Wowoden days of 22 and Adam Cooney and things like that. But you got, you got, your, you've got your hand raised like you want to say something. Well, I was just going to say, before we get too deep into your one, Christian, how did the champion data final tally end up? Yeah, we yeah do it a lot of the same way that Jake does. Um, and a lot of our stuff, again, I think Jake's doing, sort of doing yours subjectively, like sort of going through and watching mm. the game and doing it. Ours is a little bit like that, like but using the stats, using the who won the game, what position was played, and umpire recent biases. So previous how do you, polling how do you history. Take so, that into sorry, account? previous polling history. So right. someone like Ollie Wines, we've got him seventh on the count this year. Yeah. A lot of that is because he's been boosted up because he's had such good count. So yeah. you know, usually when he gets twenty five and three, he's a good chance of getting. You know, two votes in a game, so we'll we'll have that even though five and three. That's oh, a three. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, like that's the game. It, it, has yeah, Wines ever be, done that in yeah. his career? Twenty five and three. There'll be different numbers where it's sort of like, well, he hit that, but in the game, so did five other players, sort of type right. thing. But we'll still, you know, say well, he's a still a chance there, to get a yeah. vote because that's what it, you know that's well, what's that happened in the past. So, um, looking at it all, yeah, we got the same. We don't have a tie. We have got Lockie Neal as a standalone leader. Um, and yeah, Clayton Oliver, we've dropped down to fourth. Um, in a, oh, sorry, equal third. Sorry, twenty five point three equal with Andrew Brayshaw. Um, Patrick Cripps is uh, one point seven votes away, second from Lockie Neal. The Brayshaw brothers could have a, a two third place finishes if if that ends up going the way. Well, it would be. I was actually. Is he going to be invited? I think the Brayshaws. Gus wasn't. You remember yeah, that? Yeah. <laughs> the Brayshaws could combine for. They could go close to fifty. 45, 50. They costers, could they poll? Now uh, the brother yeah, combos I could poll they, this year. They got, they got about 20, 20, 22 between them, maybe. Henry's, uh, maybe not. No, maybe not. Uh, Ollie Wines, never kicked three in a game. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> a bit off topic. Yeah. <laughs> Any other interesting nuggets that you want to tease now before we have our big um, so, so I've got, special? So just get, uh, we won't go too into it, but yeah. So Neil, I've got Neil and Oliver both tied on 30. Um, Cripps then th- uh, third, I guess you'd say, on 27. Brayshaw, 26.5, and then another uh, tie with Miller and Petrarca, both on 24. So they're the they're the six players that I'd say are in contention. And then the next player is 20.5, Jeremy Cameron, who 
when he polls, it'll be a lot of threes. He, he's, he had probably seven games where he looked to be the best player on the ground. Um, but yeah, look, it's going to be a great count. Tick tock, tick tock. He's looking on his phone again. The three times during this podcast, you've uh, you've tried to flick your phone on, and I don't yeah, think there's great uh, reception in this in this studio. Isn't. That's what's killing me. <laughs> we'll wait for you. So something I found on Twitter over the weekend, which I thought was quite interesting, was just five five key areas and how previous Brownlow medalists have fared in these areas. And I know it's not everything, but it is it is something that can be a little eye opening. So the five the five areas are contested possessions, clearances, ground ball gets, player rating, and disposals. So those five of the of every Brownlow medalist, the last ten have finished in the top. The top five in f- at least four of them, and the top twenty in all of them, except five in disposals, was 29th in 2015. So basically, you've got to be good in all those areas. What are the categories again? Sorry. Contested possessions, clearances, ground ball gets, player ratings, disposals. So like your premiership yeah. metrics, Christian, that you have for teams that need to hit certain um, benchmarks to be a genuine, you know, so, quote-unquote so, contender, so, so you, have, you, you have the Brownlow metrics. You want, to be, you want to be high in all those areas. So the interesting one is Brayshaw. And I, know, I noticed you say he doesn't come up high in, in the champion one, and, and this is probably a, a big reason why. So his, his ranking in those five, 38th, 40th, 46th, 65th, and 6th. Yeah, we, no, we'll still got him high in the brown. So we can still got him equal third in the brown. It's the player rating points that he doesn't like. He wasn't an elite midfielder yeah. at all this year. Who was that on Twitter? Give him a shout out. That was good. Uh, this was Jaden Popowski. Don't know if it was from him originally, but it was. Ve- it's very good content. The thing that really stood out to me was where. So he's got where the other players have rated too. So Locking Neal, second, third, second, fourth, fourth. So obviously in contention. But Clayton Oliver, how's this? First, 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 first. Heard it here first. Oliver's <laughs> going to win the round, though. <laughs> Very good. Like I said, the full list, uh, ESPN.com.au forward slash AFL. I don't think you can find the champion data one anywhere online. Is it that right? No, uh, that, that's under not yet. Too, so, isn't yeah, it? We'll, yeah, we'll I'm a guard truck. A, find out a way to get that one out. Uh, I was just going to throw one up. So again, I know we'll go into a more of a deep dive, but I'm, I'm interested in in terms of, a, as I said, Ollie Wines gets into the top 10. A lot of it's because of recency bias and previous polling history. We still got a surprise leader for Collingwood, Nick Dacos. Mm. Um, almost, you know, four or five votes ahead. And I know it's going to be very, very tight at that club, but he sort of gets uh, put on top without any sort of, without any contested possessions or clearances for one, and even the umpire bias. So, yeah, yeah the, the numbers are sort of kind That's to him. I've got him equal top with Jack Crisp, but not as many as what you've got, I don't think, and very tight. Pendlebury just behind, uh, Josh Dacos and Dugowie behind as well. So, Collingwood, I think, is a tight one. There are a few teams that feel feel a little tight. Uh, the Giants, the Hawks. Um... Dacos, a snub from the All-Australian 44, mm, as in Nick. Yeah. Yeah, we should actually, we, we maybe next week we'll have a look at the uh, All-Australian, or when it comes out in full. Anyone know why it's 44 now? Did it just get too hard from the fit 40? Yeah. I, I honestly don't know. I was surprised last night in a little bit. Don't you advise some a little of these bit panellists? T- nope. Not, Not anymore. anymore. Okay. So, yeah. i start yeah. blaming you. <laughs> no, well, yeah, last two years haven't been, I think, since COVID right. came around. So, uh, but again, I was just, I was slightly annoyed last night. I just thought, have they just changed the rules without telling anyone and just gone, it's too hard to pick 40, we'll pick 44. Now I'm starting to hear rumblings that they might pick an A team and a B team oh, from this 44. I've I got no idea, but we should know, team, should, we should know what the award stands for this Blue year. Blue Blazer versus Red Blazer. Yeah, stupid. Come on. Uh, yeah, fair enough. Uh, good stuff, that. The Brownlow predictor. So keep an eye out. And as uh, Jake said, we will do a special later in the season. Mm. I might not be here. I might be away. So you might have to get JB involved. JB again. will be up for it. And uh, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll compare predictors. We'll talk. Um, we'll talk. We'll go. We can go team by team and talk who's going to be likely to top each team and, yeah. and some the best bets of last year. And if you were... If you were listening last year, you would have uh, you would have cashed in. Gamble so, responsibly. So gamble responsibly. Very responsibly, please. Somewhat responsibly. No, is very the- responsibly. And <laughs> yeah, tune in when we do it. It'll be fun. You're up and about today. For someone whose club uh, lost oh. a heartbreaker, you're, you're very up and about in this well, podcast. You gotta, there's always next year. Hey guys, we know you love your footy, but perhaps you fancy a bit of rugby too. If so, then why not check out ESPN Scrum Reset, where Sam Bruce and Christy Doran discuss all the hot topics in the game from Super Rugby to the Wallabies and All Blacks, and even further afield. Available wherever you get your pods. 
Uh, is the hype justified or is it hyperbole? This segment where I'll ask a statement, or say a statement rather. You guys tell me whether the hype is justified. I'm speaking in hyperbole. Jake, I'm going to throw you under the bus here. I want you to read that first one to me if you can. Uh, yes, Dane Zorko, Brisbane skipper. He should not be captain for finals. I think the hype is justified on that. I'm really, really disappointed with how... Well, firstly, how he acted as a, as a captain of a football club. And I think, secondly, a little bit disappointed how Brisbane's handled the fallout. So mm. it was reported in the Herald Sun that the sledge uh, to Harrison Petty was pretty pretty vile. It was something along the lines of, I hope your mother dies, mm. um, which is just... The way I, I sort of was talking about this with people earlier in the office was, if this was an anonymous troll who DM'd a player on Instagram and said this and then was called out... Clubs, yeah. clubs would come out and they'd be saying this is unacceptable. This if is vile did conduct. That, if there was, you're right. If there was a play, if some punter did that to Petty on social media, the club would come out and say we don't condone this. We this is unacceptable. Blah blah blah. And yeah. it's just it's just different when it's a player. And I, I, look, Zorko is has a track record of you know his behaviour's not been exemplary over time. You know some of the interactions he's had with Tuke Miller. Um, you know, he, he, there's a track record there, and I just think that. For someone who's supposedly a leader and a captain of this football club, the, this weekend he did not cover himself in glory. It's not good enough. And if I was Brisbane, I would have handled that a bit differently and said, um, you know, we're going to give Dane the, the captaincy. We're going to take it off him for finals just so he can focus on his footy, focus on, you know, being a better person, and we're going to give him some counselling. Minimum. Uh, that's look, it. I, I don't disagree with that. The problem is, you take it away, if you take the captaincy away for finals, he's not getting it back. You can't then go round one. You know what? Okay, he's captain. He's again. not. He's not getting it back. So the question now is, if he's not captain, because I, I look, I think he's going to stay captain for the rest of this final series. Um, and look, I, I think that's fine. But I think next year it, it's got to be we're, we're going. We're starting fresh, especially if they don't win the flag, which is looking more and more likely. We're going to start fresh. We're going with a new captain. But the question is, and this is, we've got a couple of Brisbane uh, fans in the office here, and we were sort of debating this earlier. Who is the next in line? Is it Harris uh, Harris Andrews? Hmm. Not, um, not often you see a captain that's that plays deep in in defence. I know Shannon Hearn plays a bit more up up the up the ground. Um, Grimesy. Yeah, yeah. I mean, potentially there's there's precedent there, but it's just rare to sort of see that. I just think there's not. I think a lot of people would in, would just immediately think Lockie Neal, but uh, the cluggage. Yeah, I, I don't think there's an obvious one jumping out. So. Uh, interesting times for for Brisbane ahead. Mm, interesting few weeks ahead, especially considering the way that Richmond is playing footy at the moment. Oh, what a tantalizing! I know we're going to talk about the final next week and do a bit of a preview, but that's a bit tantalizing. Oh, they're going to beat them. Well, he's heard it here first, as as you like to say. Multi that Richmond into Oliver no more gambling. No. <laughs> Christian, you teased it before and you mentioned it. Uh, the Blues season has been a fail. Oh, no, I don't. Again, um, yeah. It's, so many ways to look at it. And again, we look at the Collingwood season. And, and has Collingwood been dominant this year? It's another question you could ask. Has Collingwood had a dominant season? You know, have they been great? The the, the one stat for me for Carlton is, yeah, the, the their ability to sort of... They were bottom four and five in a lot of sort of contested possessions, clearances, sort of a lot of areas last year where they've gone to number one and two this year. So they've got a clear game style that they're sort of banking on and sort of charging with. And, and as I said, to rank one and two and three across it. But... Again, there were signs all year long that they're not quite up to top eight standards. We look at quarters one. I don't think they'd finished in the top eight for quarters one. Um, you know, let's talk about post buy two two wins and eight losses. I think you got to look at it as a whole as a whole picture. I don't I don't think that as I said this last week. I don't think that was the final straw. Um, you know, I think they'd already or I, as a Carlton supporter, I'd already given up on finals almost two or three weeks ago. In terms of if we made it, I couldn't see us winning one. Yeah. Uh, but again, overall, across a 22-week season, it's a tick. Um, and yeah, heading in the right yeah, direction. Yeah, I agree. And I think um, the, the probably the main reason why I'm not too disappointed is the fact that we've said it a couple of times on this pod, is that the core group of the Blues, they're all young. They're all young. They're only going to get... I actually, Most experienced player was Patrick Cripps with 158 games played, I think, leading into Sunday. Yeah, I, hasn't, I, played, hasn't played a final. No, he's the the only one of eighty Carlton players to reach one fifty and never play a final. Poor, poor Paddy Cripps. But I actually, it, I, I, it made me feel old when I saw the team sheet. And I thought if I was playing for the Blues today, I'd be the oldest player on the team. Yeah, and it's like how old are you? Uh, thirty. Yeah, I had to think about that there for a second. Yeah, yeah but comfortably, I think I think Doherty's the oldest at twenty eight and a half or so. Yeah, I think George Hewitt's just older than me, right. but mm. obviously he didn't play. But isn't that just where does the time go? <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, the Crows' first round pick is enough to bag Isaac Rankin from the Suns. Well, I don't know. You, you, these are always tricky. These ones because it's 
he seems clear like he wants to go there. Oh, he's and, announced that he yeah. wants to. Yeah, yeah. So and the Suns um, will try their best to facilitate a, a trade and all that sort of stuff. Yeah, but then how how do you play hardball? Like where where do you draw the line? If he wants to go, do you, do you force him to stay? So it may well end up being enough. But if I was if I was Gold Coast, I'd be wanting a little bit more. Yeah. And do you want picks if you're Gold Coast? I think we're past the point of wanting picks. You want. Getting a pick just means you're getting, you may end up getting a good player coming through, but it's going to take probably three or four years until they get to a level that you know feel you feel like they're good enough to be in your starting 22, and that's not what Gold Coast need. Gold Coast need to have a core group of players, like we were talking about with the Blues, that are all playing at the same time and developing at the same time so they can actually make a challenge for finals. When you keep losing these players and topping up with, with younger kids, it's not really doing anything for you for the now. So I, th- I, if I was Gold Coast, I'd rather a player than a pick. Would you? But the pl- then it's then who's it's a player? Straight swap for Rory Laird? Would uh, Adelaide blink at that? Oh, I don't no. think they're doing that. Ben but Keys. Ben Keys is an interesting one. Keys ba- send him back up to Queensland. <laughs> <laughs> um, Brody but, Smith and a, and a pick somewhere. I mean, like don't yeah, know about Brody yeah. Smith. Um, Keys, keys, and a keys, and would you do keys and a second round pick if you were Gold Coast? Would you rather keep Thilthorpe or Fogarty? Is it could you offer one of those? Fogarty? I like, oh. I like Fogarty. Yeah, I do too. Another player who who takes his chances. What about the Texan? See, if I'm Gold Coast, I'm not listening to much of. I'm not taking You're many of these phone the calls. Phone I don't know. Like again, <laughs> I, screening I, the calls. Keys, I just, I'd, I'd be asking for keys and Laird. I just don't think those two would get released by Adelaide without Gold Coast having to add two Rankin. I was just yeah. like, well, we're not going to add more to Rankin just to get keys in. But it is. It's it's really hard. I, I, a couple of the Adelaide players that are intrigued, you know, again, Brody Smith, yeah, I think he'd be really uh, helpful. I know they just uh, they brought up Dyson Heppel to mm. Gold Coast, so they're looking for a little bit of experience behind the ball. Brody Smith, is that probably a type of player that could help him out? That's interesting. Do you but look, again, do you... He's, he's not worth, you know, he's... He's, he's not young. And he's Smith, not he's not going to get a lot of currency, yeah. so I'm still asking for Brody Smith and the first round. Well, that's what I'm saying. Do you, would you like, rather a yeah. younger player who can come in and, and have a longer S- runway, or an yeah. older player who can probably bring more of that experience and leadership? Someone in the office suggested, and I can't remember who it was. Who, who suggested that uh, they should get Tony Cochran to head the negotiations? <laughs> <laughs> See where that nets him. It'll anyway. be interesting to watch because it's always a bit of a who blinks first and it's almost and like it's the, a and it's always the team who the player wants out of yeah and you've got to, you look you got to feel sorry for the Suns because they it does draft, happen to them it, it's happened to them several times now yeah. and a little bit of you know West Coast to come in and probably helping Gold Coast a little bit by saying we'll take him in the preseason draft we'll pick him <laughs> up if he's there so you always if you're if you're Gold Coast you always appreciate a third club right. lingering there saying well, we'll take him if the he's Coast Brothers. for free Golden yeah. West. There you go. Matty, uh, Matt Crouch. Remember a couple of years ago? I reckon our first season we were talking about send the Crouch brothers up to the Gold Coast. Yeah, could happen. Uh, well, he's out of favour a little bit at uh, the oh, Crows. He's, so. not playing for the, he's not playing for the Crows ever again, Matt. Footy tips on Twitter. Questions, comments, feedback. Always appreciated. As I said, AFLW, Thursday night. Blues and Pies. Mm. Another one. Oh, goodness. Uh, it's going to happen <laughs> again, isn't it? Uh, <laughs> get your tips in uh, and make sure you get your, your competitions organised. Good reminder. Yep. 100%. Uh, until the next time, which we will do some... Finals preview, some other bits and pieces. We'll speak to you in the next one. Listen to all the latest episodes by subscribing to the ESPN Footy Pod wherever you get your podcasts.